We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or a grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Here's your host, John Helton. Hey, everybody, it's John Halpin. Welcome to the August 6th episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. We're about to start the first full, basically, later this week, we will have a full slate of preseason games. So the preseason is underway. And before we know it, we're going to be at opening kickoff uh, in Philly in, in about a month. Um, my guest today is my colleague, Mario Puig. Uh, so, Big news Sunday night, Corey Coleman to the Bills. What do you think? It's pretty weird because I think Corey Coleman, for all the questions that he might have, I think those questions are mostly limited to his durability, which, you know, there's a certain threshold of talent that you should be willing to put up with, especially when it's a former first round pick. It's like you got to stick with those guys generally, I think anyway. And uh, as much as Coleman's been a disappointment, I don't think there's actually any indications of truly you know problematic indicators like his yards per target is really bad through two years but a he's been playing in cleveland b he's been hurt for quite a lot of it uh c he's i don't think he's 23 yet uh or wait wait, he's gonna be 24 rather okay so anyway he's still pretty young i mean we saw how Devontae adams for instance took a while to to get his game going 
Uh, Coleman's not on a worse trajectory than he was, and yet this trade is basically just cutting him. A 2027th round pick is nothing right. at all. Yeah, so, I mean, it, are you at the point now, when I saw that trade, it's funny, I was wondering earlier in the offseason if the Browns were going to kind of pull the plug on him just yeah. because he wasn't one of their guys, one of the new regime's guys. Yeah. And I kind of thought some team could get a bit of a bargain here because when he, when he came out of college, I, he was one of those guys I looked at and I'm like, I kind of, you know, I like that guy. He's, he's got, I thought he's got some Steve Smith in him. I don't want to, I'm not saying he's Steve Smith, but, you know, smaller guy who can go up and fight for the ball and stuff like that, or, or so yeah. we thought. Um, and I'm looking at this situation for him. It, it's, it looks like one of those, you know, the, the best guy in a bad lot. So maybe he gets eight, 900 yards receiving. Do you, do you, is this, is this a guy now that you might throw a dart at late in a, even in a 12 team league, depending on the size of your bench? I think it's a better spot than Cleveland. Like I don't have any Corey Coleman shares in best ball, for instance, but it's still about the worst spot he could have gone right. uh, aside from Cleveland, perhaps. So I, I guess it's like to, but at least on, in Cleveland, he's not it, here. He's not fighting with Jarvis Landry and probably Josh Gordon. Yeah. It's uh, Kelvin Benjamin and Charles Clay is much uh, less intimidating competition. Definitely. So that's, that's definitely in his favor. I guess I just worry that the Buffalo passing game might not yep. be big enough for the, for the change of scenery to, to actually be an obvious gain. But if Kelvin Benjamin fails this year, then in that case, I think, especially he would do pretty well it's just kind of like i feel like to bet on coleman is to heavily fade kelvin benjamin because i don't feel like it's a both sort of deal i feel like it's one or the other Mm -hmm. okay um now on on the other end of that i've seen some people speculating already i mean folks we're recording this right now it's about 9 45 eastern on monday morning um and the news broke last night but one of the first reactions from people seemed to be well this must mean that the browns aren't worried about josh gordon do you buy that? No, uh, I feel like it's just consistent with what John Dorsey, the new GM, has done since he got there, which is basically sell most of his inherited, especially recently, you know, drafted inherited, inherited players for I don't know ten cents on the dollar. It's not getting good returns for any of these guys. It uh, it doesn't really make much objective sense, in my opinion, just from like a resource allocation and efficiency standpoint because it's like a smart team i feel like or like i feel like the pragmatic thing to do in this case would be acknowledge yes i don't want danny shelton Corey coleman for the long term but first i'll at least try to rehabilitate their value flip them then (laughs) but instead it's like he shows up day one he says like these guys that they were drafting before these sashi brown guys they they aren't real football players it's like Maybe you would have gotten more than a 2027th round pick for Corey Coleman if you didn't say he wasn't a real player back in February or whatever. So it seems weird to me. It seemed like he was just his objective was to get rid of all of these guys by whatever terms necessary. And uh, I guess this was one of his first opportunities to get rid of Coleman, jumped at it. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just seemed to me like he got rid of him because that was something he just he just resolved to do from day one. And I don't think other details mattered. Yeah, uh, I think I agree with you. I think that was a little weird. They, they just gave him away. Yeah. Um, all right, well, um, that's it. So Corey Coleman, I, I might, yeah, best ball, I'm more excited about Corey Coleman. I don't know that I'd even, if I was picking a fifth wide receiver in a 12-team league, yeah, I think I probably would. But I like him. You think I'd want more like sixth, but he still might go for that price. Like it, it shouldn't really 
cost you anything to get a guy who you know might be a lead receiver on a team and most guys in that range don't have that possibility all right so i'm gonna i'm gonna ask you a few guys who are down in that range okay Corey coleman or josh doxson doxson for me uh coleman or michael gallup hmm that's that's about where i would start expecting them to kind of split evenly for me like i feel I feel like Gallup's in a much better situation, but I think Coleman's more talented, more realistically, the wide receiver one possibility. So uh, I I know this is a cop-out. I'd probably try to go about half and half, maybe maybe a little more Coleman, just because uh, he, he's got the veteran status. All right, last one, who is wide receiver 60 at MFL, not MFL 10, but MFL. Um, Chris Godwin. Coleman or Chris Godwin? Uh, Coleman. Okay. Well, there, there you go. That That's sort of the wide receiver 5-6 line of demarcation there okay. so he's borderline all right um folks check us out on twitter mario's at rotowire mario i'm at jay Hoffman 37 you can also tweet us at rotowire you can get player updates at rotowire nfl or you can find us on facebook all right we're going to go through since it's monday morning um we haven't been here for a couple of days we're going to go through some news for the weekend um sony michelle had a cleanup procedure on his knee man the helium's gone right out of that guy all of a sudden. I don't want to laugh at the guy. I feel bad. Um, they th- seem to think he'll be ready for the season. But if you were going to draft him in, say, round four. No. No. So now what do you do with him? Well, he was a guy who I have or had, anyway, interested in the fifth round, uh, ideally as a running back three in that case. But at this point, it's at the very least, I think I'm putting Rex Burkhead ahead of him. Just because I'm not worried about Burkhead playing, you know, fewer than 12 games or something like that. It's not that I worry about Michelle being unavailable for, you know, week one, week two, week three, or anything like that. It's just he might not really get used for his first month or so back, and uh, that's especially with a rookie that in a new, te- obviously being on a new team. It's like he needs to learn the playbook, he needs the reps. I do think he might be able to catch up relatively quickly when he's back just because I don't think they were going to give him an elaborate role. Like whatever tasks he had to learn, I think were probably a bit linear. Like they're not going to, they're not going to, I don't think have him expected to, to know what Burke had knew. I think it's just, they needed somebody who was explosive between the tackles and they were going to give him the ball and let him run. Whereas Burkhead does just so much as like a wide receiver, even uh, James White, more involved in the passing situations. I, I just assumed he wasn't going to get all those same tasks and therefore had maybe a simpler learning curve. But those other running backs are capable. You even have to worry now about like Jeremy Hill or I guess Mike Gillisley getting some traction uh, by the time he comes back, which would be pretty much a disaster because that's that was like the whole thing we were banking on. Right. Like Rex Burkhead, James White, more like passing situation guys. If, if Michelle had claimed like a real good role going into week one, it would probably would have been as their main pure runner, uh, which should have been a lucrative role in a Tom Brady offense. And now I just can't really take for granted that he has it. All right. So now what do you do with Burkhead? You said Burkhead ahead of Michelle, but Burkhead's been going oh, on MFL. He's at pick 108. So that's sort of end of round nine. On, I'm on oh, really? fantasy football calculator. He's in round seven, but I'm not exactly sure when that is. Like, if, yeah, that it might be a divide between. Uh, it might be a divide too between redraft and best ball because it's you're probably more willing to put up with the Patriots running back rotation in best ball where you don't have to guess when it when somebody does anything in particular. Uh, but yeah, he was usually going in in the best ball leagues I was doing in like the seventh round, and I can see him going up into the sixth now. And I 
I feel like you're probably choosing between someone like him and Tariq Cohen, maybe like Jamal Williams, guys like that. Like it's already a bit of a thinned out pool when you're when you're looking at Burkhead. So it, it's I can see the case for taking him a, like a round earlier than the general ADP because it's like if you wait that round and he's not there in the next one, it it might might be someone who who is a fair bit of a drop off. So I can see taking him in the sixth round. I don't know that I want to do that. Like I might be looking at a receiver in that range ideally, but I can't argue against it because I think Burke had a, a particularly in point for reception leagues. I mean, he, he, I think could contribute to even as a slot receiver a bit more with Edelman out. It was something he was doing anyway last year. So he's, he's the real deal, I think. And, and uh, he's, he's not like a big play threat as a runner. He's not a high volume running candidate, but uh, such a good from scrimmage sort of guy. Okay. Um, Moving on to uh, your backyard, the Packers. Randall Cobb, um, there were reports over the weekend that you know, he's, his ankle sore. He had ankle surgery in June. Um, not was not an invasive procedure, apparently, but you know there's a little soreness. Anytime you hear a guy who had surgery, and then you hear you know there's some complications, even if it's soreness, which yeah. probably isn't too bad, you kind of have to you know you, you look and you think and you go, oh, do I want to deal with an injury? Is this a problem? What do you do if you're looking at Randall Cobb? You're probably looking at him in the middle rounds, thinking you know, hey, as the second receiver on that team, he could have a nice bounce back season with Rogers healthy. Um, does this concern you at all? It's a little concerning, if only because he's already been a bit weird with his durability the past few years. Yep. And it's hard to explain the drop-off he's otherwise experienced, if not for just durability things, kind of sapping his skill set a bit. Because he was so good out of the gates as, as a rookie, second, third-year player, and then just kind of been a dud for two years now. And it's it's not like he's old enough for it to be physical decline that you would expect as the reason. So get the feeling like he's just not been right physically for a couple of years. And I don't know if it's a nagging thing with this ankle that would kind of make some sense because the, the shoulder one was one thing, but it was like, he wasn't even getting open. And I don't know how much of a, how much the shoulder would explain that. So on the one hand, I guess it's good that this thing was addressed. And um, I, I guess if it's something they planned on having to manage this way anyway, maybe it's, maybe it's nothing uh, that we would call a setback or anything like that. And as long as there's enough setbacks, you would hope that that should be enough because you would think that if there was something actually concerning there, maybe the Packers would have made more of an effort to get some wide receiver experience before right. going into this year. Because if Cobb isn't available, they're basically looking at Devontae Adams and like four rookies. And who, who if you had to pick a Packer receiver from, the, from that depth, who would it be? This is a really uh, tough question because there's there's so many th- there's there's a lot of variation within the candidates. Like they're generally tall guys. Like uh, Equinemius St. Brown, I think, is the most talented of them. Uh, but he, I think, he largely fell to the sixth round basically because teams didn't think he was going to play special team snaps. I, I think it was one of those things where they thought like, well, he doesn't project as a starter for us, and we don't want to pay we don't want to pay him to be a healthy scratch as a wide receiver six, and we're not getting any kick coverage snaps out of him or something like that so if he can stick on the roster i guess i'd have to go with him but the packers are more invested with the fourth round pick jamon moore who's pretty interesting i was productive at missouri i don't think he profiles as more than like a i don't know big slot receiver or maybe a wide receiver too but he could be their second option if cobb is out marquez valdez scantling i don't expect so much from i thought he was a bit more raw kind of more like a fly route guy right now 
I guess Jake Kumaro, who's a second or third year undrafted guy out of I don't even know where, um, some small school. He seems to have pretty good athletic uh, numbers from his pro day, and he's he's as uh, the veteran of the group. He's been apparently a bit more reliable than the rookies, which on the one hand you would kind of expect and almost require of him, but that fact alone might make him you know a bit of a sleeper in the meantime because he gives them something uh, reliable, like he knows the system, unlike the rookies. Uh, yeah, if if Jeff Janis was still there, the Jeff Janis truthers oh, on Twitter would have yeah, been Yeah, that would be out crazy. of control right now. Yeah, they'd, be, they'd love it. <laughs> All right, um, Martavis Bryant. So John Gruden's not happy here, it looks like. Yeah. Um, I can give you a quote. Um, Bryant was out last week with an illness. John Gruden, quote, he's got to get out here and play better. He's in a competitive situation. Right now, a lot of the other receivers have had a nice camp. He's just got to learn the offense. He's got to stay out here. He's had some illnesses. He's got to get on the field. He's got to master the offense and become more versatile, and that's the key to making this team better. So any anything at this time of year can be coach speak, but it sounds like Gruden's not real. He's not thrilled right now, is he? No, he's not thrilled, and that kind of language, it's like I almost almost worry about his spot on the team kind of thing because, I mean, if, if uh, on the one hand they basically – traded like a third round pick to get him mm-hmm. which seemed odd at the time uh but even now like especially now rather it's it's you just have to wonder like what even was the plan here uh, he didn't really i guess it was going to be jordy nelson in the slot martavis bryant is the third receiver playing outside but the way gruden phrased all that it sounds like he's uh not necessarily in in the plans as of today so they have something invested in him, but it's looking like they might have just kind of uh, not really researched what they were buying. Yeah, th- this doesn't sound – I mean, that, this guy, plenty of talent, but this is just – I don't know. I, I don't think – he wasn't really – nobody was really drafting him. Right. Right, so I'm I guess some people maybe in like the 14th or 12th or something like that, but yeah, he was he was a flyer to the people who were drafting him. I'm seeing 14th. I'm seeing him 63rd on the receiver list. Okay. So, um, let me see one more. Yeah, I'm seeing him here in the 12th. Yeah, so I think we're we're out, right? Unless it's maybe best ball or something, which is an easy uh, thing I to say. That's a crutch, right? You can always say, oh, best ball. You say that about everybody. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I even in best ball, I have no interest in Martavis Bryant at a, even if it's like the end of a draft. I guess if if he makes the team and Jordy Nelson or uh, Amari Cooper get hurt, maybe that's a scenario. But it's like there's there's you, if you give those conditions to like any third receiver, you can talk yourself into it in, in that scenario. So I'm, I I think I just want other players. Okay, um, last bit of news from the weekend. So depth, depth charts, I mentioned Coach Speak a few minutes ago, and the close cousin at this time of year is a depth chart, which really doesn't mean that much. Yeah. Teams just put them out. The Dolphins had Kenyon Drake and Frank Gore ranked, uh, listed as co-starters at running back. What do you yeah, think? I don't know what to make of that. It's, on its face, it's ridiculous in the sense that like no one's, no one's tricking anybody as to who the better player of these two is. And... I don't understand at this point in Drake's development and in the state of the Dolphins otherwise, I don't know what their interest would be in, I don't know, playing up Gore or, or otherwise shielding Drake. It's like Drake's, he, he can't have more than two years left on his contract. It's like he's going into his third year. They moved to Jai almost seemingly to get more snaps for him. 
it would be weird if they reeled it all back, especially with how good he was last year as a feature back in the last six weeks or so. So I have full faith in Kenyon Drake as a talent. Uh, the Dolphins as an organization, even before the step chart thing, were, were very uh, creepy. Like it was it was just kind of unnerving to have to depend on the Dolphins for much in particular. And Drake's a guy who, unlike the receivers, Devontae Parker and Kenny Stills, it's like Drake was someone you probably had to spend a top four round selection on. So uh, it's not as easy to get him without a, a painful sort of price. And it's it's like you, you at the one hand, want to be kind of, I guess, charitable and, and think the Dolphins are just trying to put out noise with this. On the other hand, it might not make sense to be charitable with them. It, if it looks like they're going to do something dumb probably want to take them seriously. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm not, I'm with you. There's, there's no question and no concern as to who the better player is. But what, what I keep thinking is that Frank, if, if you're thinking about drafting Kenyon Drake in round four or five, which is depending on where you look and where he's going, yeah. Frank Gore might be a nuisance. Yeah. You know, an eight carry a game nuisance. That you're just going to be annoyed and, you know, maybe he'll get a ball at the two-yard line and, and, you know, score seven touchdowns on, you know, 100 carries and and just be a pain in the butt if you own Kenyon Drake. The so. only thing that's a po- – like, the only positive spin I can think here is, like, we basically know Gore will not do a whole lot. So maybe right. it's the kind of thing where they, they – because they have, a, I don't know, just this – Silly idea. Maybe they go into the year resolved to this rotation. Maybe they're forced to abandon it by week three or something. But that's still a pretty big leap of faith for a selection in the fourth or fifth. All right. So back to the Dolphins again. You talked about you know the potential to do something dumb and everything. What? what where are we with Adam Gase at this point? Two years ago, it was wow. This could. This is budding offensive genius. Maybe. Yeah. Um, it's what, where weird. Are we? Yeah, it's weird the trajectory he's taken. Like it, working with Tebow, he seemed like he could, you know, t- turn dirt into gold or something. But now he gets to Miami, and it's—I don't know if there's this thing with some offensive coordinators or defensive coordinators turned head coaches, where maybe they get this new position of responsibility and they start to feel these pressures for the first time, and they kind of—I don't know—just sort of regress or or otherwise you know change their approach because they're more sensitive to to the risk of failure or something like that i I don't know what it is but he doesn't seem like he has a grip on anything at all it seems like he's kind of at a loss for what to do even even for just basic functions with the team and it seems (laughs) like he's pretty frustrated in most quotes that you hear from him so I don't know if he even wants to be there. I don't, I don't know what's where the guy's head is at, but it seems like he doesn't have control of the team. It seems like he doesn't know what to do generally. The whole thing feels like it's sinking. Uh, I, f- I feel like that's one of those teams that you just know. It's like this this management regime, this coaching staff, this is not long for this team. It doesn't seem like it. That's too bad. I remember a couple of years ago we, we were hoping that Ryan Tannehill would be something, and it doesn't look like Ryan Tannehill is going to be much. So. Yeah, not 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 on this team. It, it would be hard to, I think, anyway, succeed with with the the general foundation they have right now. Right. All right, folks. Out of new fantasy football's next level fantasy football challenge. You've been looking for experience a year round dynasty competition with deep rosters. Accumulate college player prospects to lead your team in the future, or to move for a superstar at the trade deadline. Out of new fantasy football never sleeps. With year-round trades and off-season arbitration, learn more about why everyone who plays Audenew becomes addicted at www.audenewfootball.com. That's O-T-T-O-N-E-U, Audenew, better fantasy football. I've got my uh, my auction Tuesday night 
in this, by the way. I will report oh, nice. back on Wednesday or Thursday, depending on what the schedule works out this week. Um, but, yeah, I keep saying I'm excited that last year I got Terry's Geis. It goes to the, you know, you can get college people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I have Darius Geis. And now, you know, I, I, I happen to think that Darius Geis is being overdrafted in redraft leagues. But for the cheap price I have him at in Omni, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, I've, I would even be more optimistic in, in your case probably than you are. Because I, I happen to think he's going to be okay at the current running back or the current running back market. It's like, yeah, you're paying a lot to get him in redraft. But it's just... I'm not seeing anybody go for cheap this year. Right. So I, I feel like I'm at least sure he's a good player who, who won't be uh, losing his opportunity level anytime soon. So I, I think he'll come through in, in uh, either scenario and yeah, getting him in a bargain, like you described in a basically like a dynasty format is it's a great asset to have. I, I'm seeing him in round three at this point. Yeah. So it should it, be like right at the turn of three and four at this point. Might go up even if, if Chris Thompson doesn't get into practice or or rather he's been in practice, but he's he's said publicly that he feels like this is his most difficult recovery of any of those season ending injuries, which previously included fractured vertebrae and an ACL tear. So uh, that that was a concerning quote, even if it's yeah. uh, even if he didn't specifically mean it to, to to how it came across. I mean he's saying he might not be at full strength for a year, which would be November. Whew. So yeah, that's uh, that's, that's pretty rough, and it's it's uh, yeah, got to be a pretty traumatic injury in that case. All right, so I mentioned off the top that this is, I mean, we're in preseason week one here. We've yeah. got games happening on Thursday. Are they all on Thursday? A, a lot of, I mean, oh, most. I'm, I'm sorry, sure. all but four are on Thursday. So that's a busy Thursday night, and then you got yeah, two yeah. on Friday, two on Saturday. Um, who? Who are you excited to see? I mean, I, it, it's easy to say, and I know I'm one of these people that I look and I go, oh, preseason football, I can't watch this. But, yeah. but you, can, you can see roles anyway. When the first team is on the field, you might not see the whole playbook, but you can see personnel and, and things like that. Who, let's start a quarterback. Who are you excited to see for whatever limited time we might see them in week one of the preseason? I wouldn't say excited exactly, but I'm definitely curious to see mm-hmm. Josh Allen. And it's not going to, it's not going to be a, uh, what would you call it? It's not going to be signal to me. It's just, it's like, I won't look at the preseason as, as any sort of uh, opportunity to, to find meaning or anything. But sometimes it's interesting just to see, you know, how, how do these guys look under those, the bigger stadium, the brighter lights, uh, big difference from the Mountain West. And Allen has a history of kind of wilting when he gets into the, the higher stakes settings. So it'll be interesting to see if he shows like a natural composure, I guess. It's, it's, it wouldn't be surprising if he did. And if, if he doesn't, it won't mean anything to me. Like I have low expectations of him, but it won't be based on what he does here. And uh, on the other hand, it'll be interesting to see if he kind of uh, looks like a natural because you can kind of expect Peterman and McCarron to, to not do that. Right. So, so with Josh Allen... He, I think he might be in a similar boat to what Lamar Jackson saw last week. Like some of these guys, yeah. Like I, I want to get two other quarterbacks in there. Like Mitchell Trubisky, I'm curious to see. Um, mm-hmm. But 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 I know he's the starter and he's going to be out there with with the ones, right? Mm-hmm. But Josh Allen might be playing in the second half with a bunch of guys who are not going to make the team, yeah. and he's not going to be playing with the receivers that he'll be thrown to if he starts this season. Does that affect the way you look at the guy? It's, it's, I think, uh, the kind of thing you can look at and maybe get a hint as to what the team's plans are. 
with him and the other quarterbacks. Like, it won't necessarily mean anything if he comes out with a third string uh, offense in, in his first showing. In fact, I would kind of expect that to happen. But if if it's like they give him kind of a quick promotion to the second team in the second game, like maybe you kind of assume you feel that much better about them grooming him for kind of immediate. Uh, play or a, a relatively imminent uh, arrival in the starting lineup he's, if he stays with that third team the whole time you can probably cross that possibility off and, and assume it's going to be either peterman or mccarran in week one maybe weeks one through six or whatever it'll be but it's it's otherwise just kind of i think it, it it's sort of a tautology of like where they're at on the depth chart it's just wherever they come out in the and, and which shift, which first, second, third team, whatever it is, it's just kind of where they're at right now. And if it changes for the better or the worse, you can kind of, I guess, get a little insight as to where the team might go next with him. Okay. Um, I, I, and I, I mentioned a minute ago, I'm, I'm curious to see Trubisky. Yeah. And just in general, how what the Bears' offense looks. And by the way, um, Josh Allen, Bills are home against the Panthers on Thursday night. Um, as far as the Bears, who I'm about to talk about now, Bears are at Cincinnati. Um, I want to see what this offense looks like. There's been a lot of chatter about um, the the Bears, you know, Matt Nagy being, you know, coming over as as an offensive minded coach and and breathing some fresh air into the Bears offense. Uh, I want to see how Terry Cohen gets used. Um, But but Mitchell Trubisky, do you think I mean, I remember, remember last year, I think it was the first preseason game. They brought him in late and he completed a whole bunch of passes in a row and everybody went crazy because everything was a rollout. Everything was a, was a low per, was a, was a high percentage pass on a rollout, and he completed a whole you know seven of eight or something like that. Do, do you think should I be looking for them to open things up a little more from him on Thursday night? Or are they going to kind of keep things under wraps a little more? I I, I feel like I want to see if there's more coming from him and, and what kind of plans they have. It's reasonable to look for, you know, that sort of thing. But if it's not there, if if it's basically a very simple offense, if they're not showing much, I don't know that we can actually conclude anything. It's 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 that that's a, the big problem with the preseason. It's like you can see these things and you can note, you know, these these various things that are occurring, but it's just no guarantee that it'll be there in week one. So on the one hand, you have a new offense with Chicago, and you'd think. You know, they need the reps. They need to get a, into game shape. They need to learn their own system. But it wouldn't be that surprising to me if Nagy doesn't show much in the preseason and actually just does all the reps within a practice setting that, that, that they need. So if they don't show much, if it still looks like a simple offense for Trubisky, I would – this is me being an optimist in this case, but I would probably chalk it up to them just not wanting to show their hand. And uh, I wouldn't – take it as a as a concern like oh they'll be rusty in the regular season then like i don't have that worry with Nagy. i feel like he's got a i, th- I feel like he's going to have them ready for what they do and I, th- I think because they have a scheme that's such a contrast to especially what the nfc north is used to it might be to their benefit to just catch everybody by surprise and not really show you how they're going to actually run the team but if they do show how they're going to run the team that it'll be worth observing because yeah it's it's up to interpretation right now how exactly they're going to use these rather versatile players like taylor gabriel Tariq cohen anthony miller we've been told is going to be largely a slot guy but we also know trey burton gabriel cohen all play in the slot a lot too so it's going to be interesting to see how exactly they split up these functions because they have a lot of candidates did you did i see you tweeting about kevin white over the weekend by the way uh, yeah, there was. He's to be clear, someone that I'm not expecting anything from this year. My interest in his 
uh, goings on are basically, is he going to be good enough to screw things up for uh, Anthony Miller and maybe even, I don't know, Allen Robinson? Because it's like White, you would think, is strictly an outside guy. And I don't think Miller is going to get all of the slot snaps. So I feel like to hit his potential, he needs a healthy serving of outside snaps too. There'll be more outside snaps if White is not an option. But in this clip that someone, uh, sorry, I can't recall their name, uh, but they they got it from training camp yesterday. And Kevin White actually torched on a basically like a fly route. Kyle Fuller, who is a former first rounder guy they just extended, looks right. like one of the better young corners in the league. So if White's fast again, you know, after all those injuries, if he's if he's got four three five speed again, that could be a, a good thing for the Bears, but a bad thing for Anthony Miller. Yeah, that that would cause mayhem in the in the Bears receiving core. Someone trying to find the the second option to Allen Robinson. Um, running back, who on the schedule are you? I mean, usually the the, the questions I'm asking lend themselves to younger guys, particularly rookies. Yeah, but who who are you curious to see at running back this week? Basically, rookies. I guess it's it's always interesting to see uh, how they how they just look in an NFL setting because sometimes it's hard to tell how actually fast or quick or even just how big these guys look based on the college film because it's you know the the fields are different colors they're shaped differently the cam, cam camera angles are probably a bit different so it's like you feel like you know what fast is and uh, what what big is but you get them in the NFL field and you kind of you, you just see them for like finally what they'll actually look like on the on the real field mm-hmm. and sometimes it's not what you expect and uh, sometimes guys look slower sometimes they look faster I guess Rashad Penny's pretty interesting as far as that goes because watching him at San Diego State. He didn't look like an obvious 4-4 guy. Like, I was concerned he was like a 4-5 guy. Uh, not because I, you know, not because he was like getting caught from behind. That was something he almost never did, in fact. Like, he, he had all these long touchdown runs. He just didn't look that fast. And sometimes it's just optical illusions with that sort of thing. Like, sometimes the guy who looks fast isn't actually. It's just like sometimes he has fast feet and sometimes they move really fast because he has short strides that aren't that potent and he, he actually just needs to look that fast to, to, to kind of be the average. Whereas Penny, it turns out he just kind of has like an easy speed. Like he ran the four, four, six at the combine. He's one of those guys who doesn't have to strain and, you know, move like really, uh, he doesn't look like he's uh, high motor exactly. Cause he's, he's got like measured strides, but turns out he's actually moving and uh, it'll be interesting to see if, if getting in the NFL field, will he all of a sudden look faster? Uh, will that four, four, six speed generally, play like you would expect it to i feel like based on his college numbers it it, it has to because it's just one of those things where you how do you otherwise explain those numbers if, if he was not actually that fast all that time but him guys uh ronald jones will be interesting yeah he's uh he's he's a guy who looks blazing fast on his college tape but like we haven't seen him uh get to the nfl side yet and his his combine he was pulled a hammy so he couldn't run the the four or three that a lot of his, his fans were expecting. So it'll be interesting to see if his speed plays up the way that it, that it should, or at least is expected to. He, he was one of the guys I wanted to mention because I, I feel like in talking to people this summer of all the, the rookie running backs that are, I, I, what I keep saying is that it's sort of the, the, the post Saquon tier of, of rookie running backs Yeah, that they're, you know, somewhere three, four, five, whether it's, you know, Freeman and Penny and Geis and, and Jones and, and, you know, they, they've, they've moved around a lot over the summer. Like we, you said earlier, you know, guys is kind of rising to, to be the next one after 
uh, Saquon, I mean, a couple of rounds later. But Ronald Jones is someone I, I feel like he there's a uh, a polarization of opinions on him. Is it, do you think yeah. that's fair? Well, it seems like I feel like most people are generally optimistic of him. It's just you know quibbling over the exact ADP probably and. The, the criticism that I've seen, and I think it's pretty valid concern, is that he might not have basically the speed that people presumed that he had. Because mm-hmm. at this pro day, he ran like a 4.48 or a 4.47, which it's we don't know if he was actually healthy even then. Uh, so that might have to do with the disappointing time. Uh, but B, if, if he's actually healthy and that's what he's running, that's more like a 4.5 at the combine. And uh, Ronald Jones' advocates back before and during the draft – thought he was more like a Jamal Charles sort of athlete, like a f- low to mid 4-3 guy. If he isn't that, then he might be like just not that good of an athlete relative to his size because he's only about 205. So if, if that 4-4-8 or whatever it was is a fair reflection of his speed, it might not the, – the, the playing style that he has might not translate as well to the NFL in that case. But I, I don't know which – is more likely because I, f- I feel like it's a pretty good chance he wasn't healthy during that run either. Okay. And the other thing about Ronald Jones is that of all these rookie running backs, the depth chart is very friendly. Yeah. There. Peyton Barber is not a, a terrifying ob- obstacle. Right. I mean, if he, you feel like if he shows much of anything, he's going to have a lot of work ahead of him. I think um, he'll have it either way. It's like, I feel like the question for us is like, how good is he actually? Because the, like you said, the Buccaneers just don't really have any other options. Right. Um, the other guy I'm, and by the way, um, the Bucks are playing at Miami on Thursday night. Um, the other guy I was looking at is Carrion Johnson because I, I want to, I want to believe that LeGarrette Blunt's not going to be a threat, but yeah, I mean, I know Theo Riddick's there and he has his own little niche, mm-hmm. but LeGarrette Blunt could muck things up for a guy like Kerry and Johnson if you want to draft Johnson and hope for upside later in the season. Yeah, I'm a skeptic of Johnson's, but I should pay attention to him in this setting too because if if he looks good, then I, I might have to just reconsider my approach. In the meantime, I'm kind of skeptical of his talent level. And I yeah, Riddick is there. He's not going to lose his passing situation snaps. Blunt's, I feel like, is is a legitimate obstacle, and yet... If Johnson is as good as the Lions figured he was when they traded up in the second round to get him, then he should be able to beat Blunt. So if he looks, if he just looks killer in this game, then then I might have to reconsider things. But in the meantime, I'm I'm a little bit creeped out by the fact that he didn't run for five yards of carry in any season. And two years ago, he got outproduced by Cameron Petway, who was an undrafted fullback this year. So that stuff's creepy to me. But he. The, the team loves him. They traded up in the second round to get him. So the opportunity should be there. It's just kind of a question of when and, and blunts the variable that, that obviously determines that. Mario, not a huge fan of Karrion Johnson right there. That's my takeaway from that little. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a huge fan, but, it, you know, I've, I've been wrong about something or other before. And like, this could be another instance of that. All right, wide receiver. Um, oh, by the way, the Lions, uh, that's sat Friday night at the Raiders. So it's a late game. It's on NFL Network. Um, the wide receivers... I think this gets tougher. Yeah. You know, it, it gets tougher to, to kind of find what you're looking for in a preseason game. Well, if you I, like Trubisky, then uh, Anthony Miller should be pretty high on the list, right? Yes, absolutely. But but then I look at Anthony Miller, and I'm just – I'm not sure what I'm going to get. I, yeah. I look at – I think the Bears' offense will be better. But mm-hmm. I look at them, and I go, okay, 
how many receivers deep do I want to draft in the Bears? And, mm-hmm. you know, Allen Robinson, I think I do. Even with the injury, I think I want to take, you know, fourth round. I think that's worth it because the, because the payoff could be pretty big. I think Trey Burton's a really interesting one. I think he's probably going a little higher, high for my taste. Yeah. But then after that, if I think he is, is going to be, you know, Travis Kelsey light, just because of role, not because of ability. But, and, but then I go, all right, do I want to go three, three receivers deep on the Bears? And I probably don't. As much as I like right. Nathaniel, I actually owned him on a college fans team last year, so I you know, kind of followed him a little bit. I, I don't know that I want to go there. I'm curious to see him. I just don't know how fantasy relevant I think he's going to be. Yeah, I think uh, I've been an advocate of Miller's since they drafted him, but I'm probably out on the bidding right now. Like I was in an NFFC draft a little over a week ago, 10 days maybe, and he went in the eighth round. That's a big aberration from what you usually see, even in other drafts. Even if he gets picked what is relatively high, it won't be that high. But it seems like the, the general tone is is like he's trendy now. And I understand it. He's I think he's a very talented player, and I, I love – the upside in that offense but like you said there's there's so many candidates to catch the ball there i feel like the the reasonable thing to do right now would be to project about 700 yards and five touchdowns while acknowledging that if robinson gets hurt or something or other unforeseen removes one of the other variables then there's the upside scenario but it's best to not assume that will happen and i feel like his price is reaching the point where people are making that assumption all right um other wide receivers I want to see how the Redskins deploy people. I, like again, I don't know how much to say. The Redskins are at the Patriots, by the way. Uh, you know, I, I want to see how Doxson and I mean Crowder. I think I know what I'm going to get. Yeah, but the other guys, the guys on the outside. Well, Crowder played some outside last year, more than we thought, right? He's sort of typecast as a slot guy, but he wasn't totally slot last year, right? Yeah, I don't know how many slot receivers actually you know, exclusively play in the slot or, or even approach like 80% of their snaps in the slot. But he, he's the guy who you try to keep there just because he is small and he's not fast. So he doesn't, he doesn't really create separation by running in a straight line. He need, needs to zig and zag a little bit, but yeah, I, I love Crowder and it feels like he's locked in. Uh, I like Doxon a lot too, as a talent. It's just, I can't tell what's going on with his health and that heel draining thing the other day is yeah. really creepy to me. I've never even heard of that. I don't know what condition that's meant to alleviate or if it's particularly if it's connected to the, the Achilles issues that he's had in the past. That would be especially concerning. But yeah, I don't know if, if he can just play because of his health, That it, basically. So uh, Richardson is a guy I'm not that high on, but he's, he's a good sideline fly route guy, good uh, acrobatic ability not sure how well he fits with Smith, but he's he's definitely going to be getting, a, a, I don't know, I would guess like 60 snaps a game this year just because they need someone to play outside right. and Doxon won't always be there. Exactly. And, and he's going to be, he'll, he'll be more of that boomer bust type because of the type of receiver he is. Yeah. All right. So he's interesting and uh, I guess it's like, you know, some of those depth guys like Robert Davis or Trey Quinn, the rookie out of SMU, might be worth keeping an eye on in case Doxon misses time, but... Uh, generally, it's it seems like it's got to go largely through uh, Jameson Crowder, Jordan Reed if he's there, Vernon Davis if he's not. All right, the, the last guy I want to talk about, I want to get the tight end, and I, I don't want to you know block you out of talking about anybody else. You talked about Anthony Miller, um, Mike Gesicki, the tight end for the Dolphins. Yeah, I, I think the, the the hype is getting a little. It's not crazy hype, 
but it's, it's you know for a rookie it's pe- people are all they people seem to really love and go oh this guy's gonna be good and I think I think that falls under the someone's got to catch the ball for the Dolphins and people don't have mm-hmm. faith in Devontae Parker anymore right and Gasicki should have been the first tight end picked I know that the, the Ravens had their reasons for taking Hayden Hurst instead but Gasicki's the better prospect and he isn't guaranteed to be good like Kobe Fleener has a lot of the same traits that are basically selling points for Gasicki, but the simple fact is guys with Fleener's traits are almost always good too. It's, it's, it's a rare thing to be as big, fast, as productive as these guys are and then get to the NFL and just suddenly not produce anymore. So it would be surprising if Gasicki isn't good. Athletically, he's basically the same as Jimmy Graham. And it's not as if he's a workout warrior only. He was actually productive at Penn State. So I don't know why he fell as far as he did. And uh, it still creeps me out that he's on the Dolphins. I, I wish he was on another team, basically. But uh, paradoxically, uh, it's like the Dolphins might have the biggest or one of the biggest you know, voids at tight end. So if he's not on the field, that would be puzzling. And if he is on the field, it would be similarly puzzling if he all of a sudden you know, forgot how to play. So, so that's a you you made a bold. I, I found my head my Twitter headline for this podcast that athletically the Gesicki's basically the same as Jimmy Graham. Oh yeah, that's not to exactly compare the skill sets, right? Uh, it, they could be. I mean, Gesicki was drafted a round earlier than Graham was, but in terms of guys who are like pushing six seven, who have that kind of forty yard dash, vertical broad jump, agility drills, uh, Gesicki basically had the best combine of any tight end ever. So that he's truly top 99 percentile as an as a raw athlete without accounting for skill set, which which also matters. Like great athletes have have failed in the NFL before. Right. Anybody else you're looking for? Anybody I missed that you're kind of curious to see? Well, he's not generally listed as a tight end at this point, but I'll be if he is listed as tight end, which he is on draft dot com, for instance. Jalen Samuels in Pittsburgh is kind of interesting to me. He more conventionally projects as their third running back, but I think he might emerge as their second running back behind Le'Veon Bell. And uh, who knows, if he keeps tight end uh, eligibility in leagues, that, that could be an interesting kind of loophole to consider, kind of kind of like the, the running back to tight end version of uh, Joe Webb or something like that when he would start at quarterback with wide receiver eligibility. It's like you, you might not think he's that good, but if he's playing a position where there's scarce stats, then... then Maybe he could do something useful this year. All right, folks, um, just just to fill you in on some details, we've been talking about this week's games, um, most of them Thursday. So Thursday night, NFL Network, other than your local broadcast, Browns-Giants at 7 o'clock, Cowboys-Niners at 10 o'clock. Then Friday night, you've got Falcons-Jets followed by Lions-Raiders. And then on Saturday night, you've got Vikings-Broncos at 9. So you're going to have opportunity to watch a lot of teams this weekend and just kind of, you know, if you're into preseason football, go check it out. Uh, listeners to this podcast can get a free 10-day Rotowire trial at rotowire.com slash pod. No credit card needed. That lets you check out nearly all the features on the site. Take a look now, rotowire.com slash pod. Mario, what are you up to these days? Uh, today I got to finish an article about just general training camp developments and Wednesdays I'll be doing a best ball journal kind of thing. This is all on Rotowire. And uh, then Fridays we're doing a new thing where I do a weekly uh, dynasty kind of stock watch sort of thing. So, so more like fringe and, and rookie kind of guys who uh, aren't in re- your redraft radar, but, but maybe are guys who could do something in a, a year or two or maybe even be kind of like fab uh, week 12 kind of factors this year. So trying to anticipate some of those guys with the Friday article. Gotcha. All right. Well, hey, man, thanks for doing this. And uh, I know Mario watches during the season. You watch 
you watch tape of every game every week, right? Yeah, not so much with preseason, but regular season. Yes. Yeah. So when regular season happens, he, he's gonna uh, he, he posts a, an item every week about that. And if if you don't have time to watch, you know, sixteen games a week full of tape yourself, he will do it for you and analyze it, so you can go check that out. It's really helpful, folks. If you like this podcast, we'd appreciate it if you would leave us a review and a rating wherever you're listening. And thank you for listening to this edition of the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast. We'll be back on. Not sure if it's Tuesday or Wednesday, but it'll be Tuesday or Wednesday and then Thursday, Friday. Um, So three more this week. So please come on back, check them out. For Mario Puig, I'm John Halpin. See you next time. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens. And that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.